0: Welcome to Dragon Talk. I'm Greg Tito, and I'm joined by a new, well, not really new, an old person. <laughs> Hi,
1: old person. Hello. <laughs> yes. Bart Carroll is here. Yes, uh, good to be back on the D&D podcast, just uh, filling in a little bit for Shelly Mazenoble today as she's off out and about. She's doing secret projects. Yep. Yeah, she is t- uh, doing all kinds of things that we can't talk
0: about, although I almost just said it. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> we'll beep it out again like we did with the uh, the Joe podcast. Yeah, we don't want her to, to come on here and have to scream beep <laughs> and make it all happen. Uh, so Bart, uh, so you're here uh, uh, as... Uh, You know, a new member, new-ish member, official member of the D&D team uh, as of the summer, actually, I guess. But uh, tell a little bit quick about what you're doing as a digital marketing manager and co-host of the podcast right now.
1: Yeah, no. So uh, if folks had been listening to the podcast for a long, long time, they would have heard my voice on it years and years ago. Uh, For a period of time, I was working on the podcast and then moved over for a couple of years onto the Magic the Gathering team. Uh, I was working on websites and online campaigns for them for a while, but decided that uh, heart and soul belonged to Dungeons and Dragons and made a very concerted case to get back onto the team, which I was very blessed and uh, honored to be able to do. So now I'm working uh, as the digital marketing manager for Dungeons and Dragons, which entails the website, but also Dragon Plus, our online magazine, a bit of social media, a bit of live events, in conjunction with yourself, of course, Greg Tito and Trevor Kit as well. So, uh, doing a lot of uh, great, great uh, promotional and uh, marketing and. And uh, all sorts of, of fun, engaging activities online and, and elsewhere. Making the fun happen
0: <laughs> is what we like to call your yeah. job description. There you go. So, uh, Dragon Plus is got a new issue coming out at the, uh, the the this month, the end of February.
1: End of February, we do have a new issue coming out. Uh, we put out Dragon Plus every other month, uh, and as as I've said internally, maybe not externally, but internally, it's uh, a really big pleasure to be able to work on on Dragon Plus. Not just for its um, for its legacy with with Dragon Magazine, but also as, as sort of a very enjoyable proving grounds for for new material and working with new artists and working on uh, different types of content that we might not always have a home for in other places. Yeah. Uh, but, but Dragon Plus has been a great, great home for, for a lot of content that we've been able to find out in the community, or uh, we have a, a great set of editors. Uh, we work with our partner's dialect that rounds up some, some good content yeah. for us to do.
0: And Shauna uh, Narciso, Shauna Wolf, Narciso uh, <laughs> makes uh, those covers really sing. I love the Dragon Plus covers. She also really enjoys working on Dragon Plus for nice. that reason. Anything, uh, anything you want to special want to talk about for the end of this this issue? Uh,
1: for the February issue, uh, we're working on it. We're calling it our inspiration issue. Uh, we have a South Korean artist who had done some some great D and D inspired work. And we took that work uh, and put it in front of Adam Lee, one of our great R&D staffers, uh, to develop some uh, sample world guide material for it. Uh, So if his art was inspired by D&D, how would uh, his art inspire us on the D&D side as well? Uh, We also went out into the community looking for other tales of how uh, the game and the brand has uh, inspired various folks over the years. So uh, some good tales came out of that. Um, Love it. Yeah, yeah. The artwork for that, uh,
0: uh, from that Korean artist, is amazing. I don't I won't mangle his, uh, his or her name <laughs> by even trying to pronounce it. But his name, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's amazing, yeah. Uh, cute cats. But not cute cats. Like they're they're pretty vicious cats as DD adventurers. Yeah, so that's cats, right?
1: Yeah. That's, that's cats uh, in general, right? They right. could
0: be cute, they could rip your face off.
1: I know. I was just getting my hand scratched to pieces yellow last night by my own cat. <laughs> so yeah, they make very good DD players. Nice. Uh, so yeah, uh, look for uh, the next issue. It's on the DD website. You can also find it at dragonmag.com. Uh, we're shooting for February 23rd uh, for the next issue to come out. If you don't see it then, that means we've moved it to February 28th, but February 23rd is our, our current street date. Sweet. Go check it out. It's a free app. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, all that all that
0: stuff gets for free, and it's updated every every two months. So yep. good stuff.
1: Absolutely. All right. Well,
0: that's our quick Dragon Plus, uh, uh, let's talk about it thing in the opening of this intro. Uh, we want to throw it directly to uh, a lore you should know that uh, is in... Uh, cahoots with our newest product coming out, uh, which is Tales from the Yawning Portal, a collection of seven old-school adventures, well, a mix of old-school, mid-school, and uh, new-school stuff. Um, And uh, they're all updated for 5th edition, uh, new art, new maps, uh, new publishing guidelines. Um, and it's really awesome. And uh, This Laurie You know, I think, will detail one of those adventures and uh, go into some of the stories and uh, why it makes that interesting. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to start with Tomb of Wars just for the fun. Why not? All right, so we'll throw it to uh, Matt and Chris talking that up right now. So thank you guys for joining me for another segment of lore you should know We have our uh, resident lore master Mr. Matt Cernet. howdy and Chris Perkins. Hello who needs no other introduction than that <laughs> I am the the Chris Perkins exactly uh, okay so today we are going to talk about the lore behind uh, one of the most uh, iconic dungeons in D and d's past which is going to be... Uh, 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 printed in uh, a new product called Tales from the Yawning Portal, the Tomb of Horrors. Uh, so Matt is going to tell us uh, a little bit about the history. Uh, Matt and Chris are going to tell us about the history of uh, of Tomb of Horrors. But Matt, why don't you tell us when it, when was uh, it first
2: published? Let's see. The gosh, Chris might know that off the top of his head, but I have to look it up. Um, let's 78, 78, I think. Yeah, seventy-eight. Yeah, seventy-eight.
3: Yeah. Wow, I was born it's in
2: nineteen seventy-eight.
3: Shut up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm as old as horrors. Jesus. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's
3: 1978. So it started out as a um, convention module, right? That's right. It was a tournament adventure run at one of the Gen Cons, and it was designed to be mean and lethal. Uh, it is. It, it, it has earned a well-deserved reputation for being the meanest of the mean when it comes to dungeon adventures, it, it was intended to kill high-level characters, and it did a very good job. And so, uh,
0: uh, maybe a little bit about com- competitive play needs to be talked about here, because I don't think a lot of people are really are familiar with that. Is uh, uh, in the current incarnation of D
2: Yeah, it's interesting because it uh, play style has changed so much since mm-hmm. the early days. Uh, even just the sort of nature between DM and players was much more uh, adversarial. Particularly in the case of Gary Gygax himself, it was. Um, a sort of interesting mix of uh, adversary, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense because obviously the DM has all the power, but then also uh, largesse and just sort of giving out all these great rewards and um, you know lots of followers and things like that. And so that's another thing, too, that um, I think people don't necessarily realize today is that it was embedded in the game in the past, to that your character would often attract followers at certain levels. So if you had a high level character, you probably had a castle and, you know, so many men at arms and the yeah. you know, all these these baggage carriers and stuff like that. You
0: would have henchmen uh, who were basically like low-level adventurers who were with you who you could tell to go forward and then die, and then therefore you wouldn't have that risk yourself.
2: Right, or or you'd you'd, take henchman number five and turn it into Larry and adventure with Larry after your character
3: died. Right, and one of the good things about Tomb of Horrors was it did sort of tax uh, not only players' abilities, um, but also characters' resources. And the way the old tournaments were set up was you got together with a game group at the convention and you basically sat in a hall with the DM who was assigned to you who ran you through the adventure and you'd get points, effectively. Um, and at the end of it, you'd either all be dead or some of you would be survived and then uh, the points would determine which group won the the tournament. Um, the best
0: D&D players essentially, at the event.
3: yes. And a lot of that really depended on how well or how badly the DM actually ran the adventure for you. But... <laughs> Um, So it was a
0: subjective kind of thing, There was some
3: of that. Uh, There was a little bit of hand-holding, or the DMs would have a little bit of guidance to sort of measure their meanness. Right. Um, So all that being said,
0: there was some story, though, behind what was happening in Tomb of
3: Horrors. The story was very simple. Like a lot of the adventures of that age, uh, the dungeon was really the star, and the plot and how you got there was pretty straightforward. Basically, in Tomb of Horrors, it starts with, you're standing outside the Tomb of Horrors, <laughs> what do you do next? <laughs> well, the,
2: the fascinating thing is, like, it's actually, you're just standing outside a really big hill. Yes. And, and, and like, you have to mine your way into this hill You even find an entrance. Yeah. So, and there's a certain number of, uh, of hours per hex or square or whatever that you have to dig. So so it, the adventure just starts with, like, okay, well, what do you do? You're in front of a big hill. Uh, I I, I, look for signs of something. You don't find anything. I go home? (laughs) (laughs) One of the cool things
3: about the adventure is, um, although there was an implication that it was based in Greyhawk, it really wasn't. It offered uh, abundant ways for DMs to basically drop it in wherever they wanted to. Right. It offered several different locations within Greyhawk where the tomb could be located, and then the sort of arbitrary statement, wherever you want it, it is.
2: Plains of Ayas, uh, near Div, the Great Desert, dasht Swamp. You know, yeah, yeah um, these were all you know uh, in, potential yes. locations that you could just drop this thing in your, your yes. in the world. Yeah. But just I mean, even in my like you
0: know very small knowledge of Greyhawk, I was like, oh, those are all the heavy hitters. Those are all the big bad places that uh, where Correct. things were. Yes,
3: and um, sort of in customary. Uh, fashion for a lot of the old adventures, what you saw on the cover wasn't necessarily what you got on the inside. Mm. Uh, the Tomb of Horrors cover featured this iconic moment where characters are staring up at this skeletal being who you kind of assume in the reading is probably the villain of the piece, uh, but you don't really have that encounter in the adventure. Um, yeah, sp- how uh, Spoiler uh, alert. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it's a little bit of a mislead. Um, but uh, it did give us a Sarac, the, the the Demi-Lich, one of the earliest of the D&D kind of classic villains. Uh, you kind of faced him of a sort at the end of the adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing the adventure did, which no adventure previously had done, was give us an illustration booklet bound inside of the adventure. Uh, it, all black and white yellows, um most of them half-pagers, that showed or illustrated things that you would find within the dungeon, be they wall mosaics or depictions of rooms and their contents, or in some cases, depictions of traps post-activation. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what you see when you open this chest, a bunch of darts flying out at your face. Oh,
0: so was that a way to kind of standardize the convention play, or, or, or
3: what? Um, no, I just think it was a novelty. Okay. Uh, it, they were intended to help the DM by giving the DM things, or if the DM didn't want to describe the room in full, you could just say, you see this, and hold up the picture. Got it. Uh, and you have to realize this adventure was pre-boxed text. So boxed text bo- boxed text technology <laughs> hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> uh, the idea of having read-aloud text really embedded in the adventure uh, in, a, in a fashion that the DMs could use. In order to run the adventure, you really had to read through it all and understand it all um, because the text was written in sort of Gygaxian stream of consciousness style, where it would vacillate between stuff the DM is only supposed to know and stuff that the players are supposed to know. Right,
2: yeah, and it is it is Gygaxian. I love, there, there's all these little um, sort of twists and turns of the language, like he uses Heidi hole a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and you can, you can find that in, a, in the, the old Gygax adventures. There are certain sort of turns of phrase that he uses that are, Uniquely him. I mean, it, it's not of the era in, in a sense. Like, he's, he's adopted sort of this strange writing tone that is just the way that he writes as yeah, opposed yes. to you know anything else that might be going on. So. Right. So
3: um, this adventure tends to be more popular with DMs than it does for players. Oh, um, my. For, <laughs> for obvious reasons. It's, a lot of players have their characters basically ripped from them in the course of this adventure. Uh, and bad things happen to your characters in the course of the adventure, like you change gender, or you're, you know, hunted by demons, or...
2: Yeah, or you just get disintegrated dis- entirely. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right? Trapped the, in a
3: room that has no escape.
2: The, 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 there are many traps in the adventure where basically, it literally just says you, you can't do anything about it, you know, Dispel Magic yeah. doesn't do anything, like, you, you can't avoid
3: this at all. It introduced the concept <laughs> of save or die. Oh, uh, that hadn't existed before? In some before. cases, there are no save. Yes, <laughs> It's just, just you die or here. you die. You die. Yeah. <laughs>
2: this uh, pit is 140 feet deep.
3: What? Like, what? This, despite these, um, these I wouldn't call them problems, these, these challenges, the adventure has survived the test of time and has spawned a number of updates mm-hmm. as well as uh, sequels. Yeah, reprints too. I was just reprints, I was yes. looking
2: at three things this morning and I saw that uh, there's a, um, a product that TSR released uh, way back when called um, gosh, it's like uh, Realm of Horror mm-hmm. and it does kind of what um, t- Tales from the Learning Portal does, which is collect a bunch of the, the famous adventures together and it, it collects um, this adventure and a few other ones, but not the same ones in Tales from the Ironing Portal right, right. Um, into one place and just you know, repackages it for folks to play.
3: Yeah, so Tomb of Horrors got its big first kind of evolutionary step was the return to the Tomb of Horrors, which was a second edition product by Bruce Cordell Mm -hmm. that Gary Gygax kind of signed off on. Um, Gary had been able to read that manuscript and actually wrote the foreword for that product. It was a big box and it was very exciting. Um, And it it, uh, built sort of a city around the tomb um, with a bunch of... Acererak worshippers and
2: yeah, really build up the mythos of, yes. of who Acererak is and what his goals are. Because in the in the adventure, the original adventure, he's a Demi-Lich, and he's just off being a Demi-Lich on some other plane. He, he doesn't really care all that much about what's going on. I mean, the, the mm-hmm. um, if you if you go into the final encounter room and uh, you, he'll kind of his bones will kind of rise up and. Or, and you know, or the dust around his skull will rise up and but if you just then don't do anything, they they sit back down again and (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's it. Right. And the wise course know. of action is to go home, <laughs> as always. You've,
2: yeah, you found the end of the adventure. You know, go home. But yeah, yeah. you know, but I attacked the cloud of uh, yeah, <laughs> cloud of it's, bones. As soon as you start attacking it, it, it has this weird mechanic where it gains like energy factors, and it, as soon as it gains enough energy factors, then it becomes a full fledged opponent that can you know threaten you and attack yeah. you with tons of spells and, and right. totally destroy you.
0: Was the idea of a demi lich or a lich at all?
3: Uh, was this the first time it was introduced? The demi lich was introduced in Tomb of Horrors. Yeah. Yes,
2: lich was before that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my my favorite part of the adventure, I have to say, is the it, well. I have two favorite parts, but one is uh, the golden couch. There's a <laughs> solid gold couch in I think the room where you uh, meet <laughs> the the mummy. The, the mummy yeah. yeah, and it's described as just a solid gold couch worth fifty thousand GP. So. I just have no idea like what that means. What did a couch mean to Gygax when he said that? And why did he say it was solid gold? Like what what is going on there? And then I just imagined like that that scenario where you're moving your friend's couch like out of their apartment <laughs> and trying to like, maneuver it around the stairs, but it's like pit traps and like lethal, you know, blades sticking out. You're just trying to like get this thing out and of the dungeon. Like, you didn't tell me this was a sleeper. <laughs> it's a sleeper. I didn't I didn't sign on for this. Oh. And, you know, that's solid gold. It would weigh tons. It's and
3: just, that, how would that be comfortable? I, yeah, I don't know. I don't right. know what that is. So um, there are a lot lot of interesting traps in the adventure, and I think a lot of people have their personal favorites. A lot of people like the hallway that suddenly tilts down and you end up sliding into a big fire pit or into actually, I think it's the elemental plane of fire (laughs) at the bottom. Um, (laughs) My favorite, because it's kind of anticlimactic, is this hallway which fills with sleep gas and it knocks you all out. And then to add further indignity to the trap, a giant... Juggernaut on rollers that looks like a big elephant comes rolling down the passageway and just flattens you. And what I love about this trap is you never have to describe it to the characters because they're all asleep. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, you fall asleep. The end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does an enormous
2: amount of damage. Yes. This, another one of those things where it's like it's just inescapable. Like yes. you, there's nothing you can do, and it's just yes. it's crazy. <laughs> I, I, another favorite of mine is is the that there's a, a huge number of false doors in the in the place, and there's hidden doors and secret doors and stuff like that. There's, there's doors that are pl- like literally plastered over, so the only way you can find them is by by scraping at the walls somehow, because you know to do that. I have no idea how you would know to do that. Um, well, but secret the, doors were a thing. Yeah, you just kind of yes. had to be like, all right. Well, but I don't know but where it says are, it but. says that you can't find them. So like the, the players have to volunteer the idea. We'll scrape the walls with our fingernails because we're <laughs> you know, that's the know. only way. <laughs> but but then there's the 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 best one, and by I, by that I mean the worst one, is you. There's a false door, and if you open it, it's blank stone. It turns out there's a secret door in the stone. Dun dun dun. <laughs> Like and a, then behind oh, that, there's know. a curtain.
0: <laughs> Maybe I think <laughs> there's, there's
2: a hidey hole behind there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, I'm excited for people to check out the, uh, the not new, but the, the
3: updated. The fifth uh, edition version fifth of, edition. of the classic Tomb of Horrors. Exactly. Yes. yes. There have been other editions that we've updated this this uh, adventure for. This is the latest. And uh, I correct me if I'm wrong. These are all pretty faithful translations. Yes, yes. yes, The Yawning Portal adventures are meant to be faithful translations. So look out.
0: Look out. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert for all the uh, the DMs. Uh, yeah. Don't d- tell your players to listen to this, pod, this segment of the podcast. Awesome. All right, well, thank you guys. Thank you. That's great. So that was great talking to Matt and Chris about uh, Tomb of Horrors. I, you know what, that's actually, I'm going to have to go on a limb here and say, I've never actually played through any version of Tomb of Horrors. So it was fantastic to kind of hear all that and, and, and get the background. And now I want to play the 5th edition version even more.
1: Yeah. What do you think, Bart? It's good. Uh, and this circles back to Dragon Magazine. We, I just ran a gaming group through the full Tomb of Horrors over um, President's Day weekend. It was a lot of fun. Nice. Did the 5th edition version. They still died a lot. That was great. Very cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, we should uh, now uh, speak to our guest, uh, who is going to be on the phone very soon. Uh, it is Tanya Depass. Uh, and now I'm, I hope I'm saying that right. I didn't get to practice as much as I did with Joe Manganello. Uh, if it's Depass or Depass, uh, that'll be the first question
1: I ask her though. Uh, when we call her up on the Skype right about now. Hello. How are you? Hey, what's up, Tanya? This is Greg, and this is Bart.
0: Hello. Well, welcome to uh, Dragon Talk. Uh, D- uh, Tanya DePass is here uh, from uh, I Need Diverse Games, um, and uh, we were excited to talk to you because uh, you were recently at a talk with uh, Jeremy Crawford at OrcaCon, and uh, I've been actually following you on Twitter for a long time, and I just for some reason never put two and two together that you would be a D&D fan, and when I found that <laughs> out, I was like, oh my god, we gotta get her on the show.
4: Yeah, I really really enjoyed Jeremy's talk and it was interesting because a lot of what Kind of made me lose faith for a while in D&D was some of the lack of adversity mm. um, And honestly some of the people I had run into playing the game So seeing that and especially for me seeing the iconic human now be a black woman. Yeah, a black human I was just like I'm sold. I'm coming back. <laughs> give me give me everything
0: nice uh,
4: well yeah, and, oh go, sorry. I was
0: just gonna say, well, I mean you, you, you uh mentioned uh, you, you playing when you were a kid. You wanna maybe that's always a good place to start. We always ask our fans like when our our guests when they started playing and what was it that drew them to it. So uh what is uh yeah, tell us that. What was what was your origin story with Dungeons and Dragons?
4: <laughs> Let's see, I rolled a twenty <laughs> on sneak because my mother is very, very much a died in the wool pre Vatican II Roman Catholic.
0: Yes. That's and, very similar to me.
4: <laughs> and and did not believe in the power of D&D as anything other than satanic and what are you doing? You're rolling dice and there's demons. And I had to go sneak off with friends and go um, go play. And it was, for me, it was letting the imagination out that I wasn't finding an outlet for otherwise. You know, like, like most teenagers, I like to write fanfic and stuff, but it still wasn't enough. It wasn't my world it wasn't my character it wasn't my sandbox mm-hmm. so D let me do that and it's just like i get to go do ki- kind of sort of whatever i want within rules and reason but i get to go play in this giant sandbox that isn't written yet and yeah. when you when you have a good gm when you've got a good story that comes together it's the best feeling in the world because you kind of can just go do world building and that was the foundation of, of my love of writing, my love of storytelling.
0: So uh, you said you were a teenager when when you started rebelling Mm -hmm. against uh, (laughs) church teachings and and learning about all these uh, crazy fantasy things.
4: Um, I started rebelling probably preteen, but able <laughs> to do anything about it would be my teenage years. Um, right. So I don't know how much of interest this will be to listeners, but I grew up in a very Roman Catholic household, which was very interesting because I grew up in Chicago South Side as a as a black person, mm-hmm. and so we we were kind of a minority among other folks because a lot of people are like Baptist and yeah. and other denominations. There weren't a lot of Catholic schools or churches on the South Side where I grew up and It was just I was like an extra level of odd as a teenager <laughs> So, you know, it was just kind of this isn't my thing i'm not feeling it and as I got older I was just like, you know, i'm i'm not digging it I tried I tried other paths and eventually I actually wound up on the nordic path with With also and and the nordic deities
0: Oh, no way really that's yeah. interesting.
4: Thus my screen name, Cypher of Tyr. Oh, see, then, I, see,
0: okay, I was, I was going to ask you about that because <laughs> I was thinking about it as the D&D deity <laughs> uh, after the context of uh, 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 finding out you were a D&D
1: fan. So I was like, oh, I wonder if that's uh, related to, to the tier of, of the Forgotten Realms. So, Not uh, quite. <laughs> I, I was curious. I, I'm assuming you started off as a player. I could be wrong. Assuming you started off as a player, did you switch over to becoming a Dungeon Master uh, soon enough, so that you could get your hands into the sandbox and start making things on your own.
4: I tried to be a GM, but I found my strength was more as a player. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did spend a year abroad, and I found a bunch of other role players, and so we did we did D anD D, and we kind of switched off GMing and doing little quick adventures. So I have GMed, but I find that my enjoyment comes more as a player, as long as the GM and, and the group is good. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. That's always, that's always a, 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 like any group of friends, the chemistry needs
4: to be right. Exactly. And you know, good chemistry kept me in a campaign of three, five for over two years with uh, a couple of my friends.
0: Oh wow. Did you, were you doing a specific, uh, adventure path or was it, uh, uh, all homebrew?
4: Um, it was homebrew. We were using the rules and the character sheets, but, um, RGM North, Roberts um, ran us through stuff that he came up with himself, and actually I went through two characters, because one of my characters died, because he failed an agility check trying to get away from a dragon.
0: That's a that's a good dramatic way to die.
4: <laughs> it was. It was amazing. He was like, you know, I'm going to roll. Oh, my rogue kind of tripped and fell and didn't quite get away fast enough. R.I.P. to that character. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so did you, uh, I mean, did he give any indication that you might be able to get away with it? Or did you like dramatically just think, oh, that was the right time for, for this character <laughs> to, to pass on?
4: <laughs> I wasn't quite ready, but I knew there was always the chance that our characters could die because it wasn't like, oh, you know, if something dramatic happens as long, you know, I'll let your character live. It was like, no, you failed the role. Your character is dead.
1: <laughs> no, see, yeah, see, I like that. I like that, the, uh, that there's that element of risk inherent to the game that you're not always going to make it through no matter what.
4: Yeah, it was it was a great adventure and, and then on occasion it, it comes up and I think about those characters fondly mm. uh, But because it was two and a half years of every week every other week for a while Of getting together and spending a whole Saturday with these characters and it was just So much fun and it, you know, like I traveled to the other side of the city to go play this game
0: Yeah, which is tough to do Yep. Yeah, I did that uh, a similar thing i might around the same time if you were playing 3.5. It was like 2004 playing, uh, uh, traveling from Brooklyn to uh, Upper West Side to play. Uh, uh, and it was, yeah, it was an hour commute in and an hour commute back, even more, uh, wait for there was traffic or something like that. But, yeah, you, you, you do it because once you find that good cohesive group, it's like you can't lose it.
4: Exactly. And, you know, times changed. Um, I, I'm i still friends with everyone, but, you know, it's, it's not as feasible for me to Commit to a weekly schedule mostly because of travel things like that and you know I've I've also tried to play online, but sometimes that doesn't work out because again schedules or technology doesn't like you So,
0: <laughs> You roll the one on your technology roll
4: Basically, it's like well today the internet rolled one for me. There will be no gaming because I can't get online
0: nice uh, so tell us about that uh, that, that that character, or, or maybe the two characters that you played in that. What what drew you to uh, to them? Why did you why did you latch on to them so much?
4: So you'll laugh at this, Greg. Uh-huh. Um, as, as you know, I'm a huge Dragon Age nerd. Yes. Um, and Fenris is one of my favorite characters. Oh, I love Fenris. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I knew I liked you for many reasons. <laughs> <laughs> um, And and I kind of wanted to to take parts of his backstory and apply it to a D and D setting. Um, Which Mm -hmm. I did I sort of did kind of Um, I did things where like the amnesia was there He was still an elf but he but there wasn't the the slavery backstory but part of his unraveling his History was kind of finding out why he lost his memory. What was the story behind it? How did he come to live in this village of humans? Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, that was the character that got killed by the dragon before we finally got got through his backstory but, you know, he went out in a blaze of glory and and we still we raised a glass to him and and he lives on in infamy. Um, and the character that followed. Was far more lecherous. <laughs> 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 our, our GM was like, you know, here, here is and I'm like, you know, I'm going to I'm going to be a little more loose with this character and. And she was pretty much, she was a paladin, because it has been a few years. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to remember the exact character. But she was kind of a lapsed paladin, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, <laughs> and she she was just very clear and very blunt on what she wanted, and when she wanted it, and who she wanted it with. Um, and she managed to make it through the rest of the adventure, and you know made friends along the way, and and kind of redeemed herself. But she still was not a... True, lawful, good paladin that did everything according to the book. She played fast and this with a lot of the rules. That's As cool. long as nobody told her. On her so. I like that.
0: Was that a, uh, uh, you know, were you feeling... uh this is always something I, you know, I, I think about when I'm building my characters I'm being like, am I making this character because it's like filling a hole in, in, in myself at this point? You know, <laughs> was that something that you were uh, uh, battling with? Or was that, uh, you know, a kind of like, a, Oh, I, I feel just empowered as this as this character does. And I want to show it in the game.
4: Um, I just wanted to have a little fun with the character because mm-hmm. I, I played the previous character that was, was very stoic and very kind of grumpy and you know, was was very much, grr, humans. I'm stuck with you, but there's yeah. a reason I'm going along on this adventure. Okay, I'm 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 here, but I'm kind of reluctant about it. And he wasn't a very happy dude, so I tried to have that opposite, right, um, set up with with the new character that replaced him.
0: That makes sense. So at least there was some contrast. I like that.
1: Yeah. And I hope the dragon did get uh, their comeuppance. <laughs> uh, what was uh, the dragon uh, ever hunted down and, and dispatched?
4: I think it was. I think we did find it again because there was like a whole subplot with draconic interbreeding that was very complex in our GM. <laughs> played his, his cards close to the chest and eventually, like when we were done, like when when we finally kind of got through everything and he explained some of the things that we that was obvious to him, but not to us as the players. I was like, son of a, why didn't I see this like three weeks ago? <laughs> um, so it was a great campaign. Um, um, my friend North, I'm not sure if he'll hear this, but he is a great gym. He's a wonderful story storyteller and, and crafter. And it kept me engaged. And I just really loved it. And it's like, okay, so when are we going to play again? If like we had a lapse. In in playing because either me or his wife or somebody had to travel or vacation or what have you.
0: Right. Well, that is cool. I like. Uh, uh, I I totally identify with that uh, dungeon master who uh, you know wants to tell all the secrets at the end. Whenever you're like, oh man, if only you guys have done X, Y, and Z, you would have discovered all of this amazing stuff or you know this story that I've been working on for years that you never even
4: went down. <laughs> Or I I got you down this path and then you just messed it all up within like two dice rolls.
1: That's the that's the player's job right? (laughs) to take things off the track as fast as possible. Exactly.
4: Definitely.
0: Nice. So. um, So, yeah, I mean, let's talk a little bit about Dragon Age, because even though (laughs) this is the D&D podcast, but I know Dragon Age 2 was was a game that was like totally in my uh, my wheelhouse when it came out uh, and. I, I loved it because it was a city story. Uh, was that something that that you know resonated with you coming from the South side?
4: Um, a little bit it was more that the characters had agency and they grew throughout the three acts of the story. Yeah um, you know a lot of a lot of RPGs, a lot of stories, you you come in contact with your protagonist. And then everyone else is kind of dependent or codependent on what your protagonist is doing They're They're always in that one spot until your protagonist comes to pick them up or comes to talk to them. And with Dragon Age 2, the characters had their own lives like they they made remarks about playing cards and and doing other things on their own time. They got together if Hawk didn't romance certain people. and the characters had such good growth and such good writing. It is my favorite video game of all time. Ooh, you go this, as far as
0: that goes even, huh?
4: Oh yes. I, I will I will be that person on the internet that <laughs> wants to fight about about this game. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you're in good company because I, I think I gave it five stars and I still randomly get uh, uh, people messaged me on Twitter being like, "How could you give Dragon Age two five stars? It was terrible." And I'm like, "You don't know. You don't know nothing." Um, uh-huh. But one of the things I always <laughs> went back to was a was that that city part because I, I I was you know I, I spent a lot of time in, in New York, so I, I definitely loved any kind of story that was uh, fantasy, but also dealt with the the story of a location, like how mm-hmm. the location changed over time, um, uh, like it did in Kirkwall. Um, but it also was the first RPG. And, uh, you know, shout out to to Mike Laidlaw for making this happen. But that felt like a a tabletop RPG campaign Mm -hmm. because of the things you mentioned of like the characters coming in and having real lives. And you didn't necessarily have to have contact with them in order to feel like it was part of the bustling city. Um, And also that like the 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 choices that you made early on affected everything later on. Almost. I mean, they didn't quite make it, you know, as infinite as a human DM would be able to make those, those, uh, choices be, be manifested, but they did a pretty good job of, of doing it. And the smaller scope let them do that. So like some of the people were complaining that it was only in one location in one city over time, um, instead of the sprawling, you know, uh, map that was origins and what was later inquisition, mm-hmm. but they wouldn't have been able to do that kind of storytelling if it was scope was so big. In, in my opinion. so like that that I mean, that was part of the reason the constraints made it better in my mind, instead of making it worse. Uh, and like you never really had a connection to a protagonist family like you did in Dragon Age uh, Two, at, at least for for any any RPG or computer RPGs that I played., uh, the family really felt like it was a real unit uh, and and the story that happens to them is independent of the, the overall story, but it felt very personal. Uh, uh, so yeah, I, I loved it and I, I wish people made more games that were, that were smaller in scope and also had the the breadth of storytelling that it does.
4: It does. And, um, I wanted to, to give a shout to Jennifer Hepler for writing Anders yes. because he is such a polarizing character, but he's so well written for sure. Um, yeah. and like for me, the other part of dragon age was, you know, you you got these characters and the fact that some characters could leave or they you could tell them to go, which can happen in a tabletop, like your characters could not get along or for plot reasons or some reason that the GM may come up with with a character going off for a few weeks or whatever. Um, kind of like with Fenris, where if you don't act fast enough, he will leave the party.
0: Yeah.
4: Um, so there's just there's just so much rich. Storytelling, And that that's something that's always got to me when it comes to to video game RPGs, but mostly tabletop, because every time you sit down, it's going to be a different experience. Be it, you know, D&D, which is which is the classic or, you know, anything else like, you know, other RPGs that are out there. Um, I don't want to get you in trouble if I mention other RPGs.
0: (laughs) Um, That's all right. There's no there's no trouble here. Okay. well, in that case,
4: um, you know, like Pathfinder because they're awesome um It it all comes down to the imagination and that's where I think an, an rpg especially one like dnd that is so storied That has such a long history Can it can be made or broken by who's at the table? Yeah um, and that's one thing that I try to talk about and i've been trying to talk about more Is is getting back to that who is at the table who's leading the story? You know where where are you finding your players and are you welcoming all your players? Mm.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Um, and uh, and Fenris is a good example because on the surface you're like, why would I want him in my party? Uh, Mm -hmm. Because he's you know, uh, even on his introduction, he's pretty, you know mean, really. <laughs> uh, oh,
4: he's got good reason.
0: He's got good reason to be, definitely, for sure. Uh and I developed you know, my, my Hawk character developed like a uh 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 you know the the friendly rivalry uh as it were or even just rivalry that kind of ended up being maybe a little bit companions, you know. Uh mm-hmm. and that is something that I didn't think was very well represented in in, in uh computer RPGs either and that, you know, around the table uh playing uh D and D there's always rivalries between party members and, you know, one upmanship and trying to outdo the other or, you know, outright not agreeing with each other. I mean, D&D has been fraught with those characters for a long time from from Sturm, Bright Blade and, and Dragonlance to, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, even going back to like the Lord of the Rings, you know, the, the conflict within the party there. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's a storytelling possibility that uh, uh, a lot of RPGs don't don't necessarily delve into.
4: Yeah, and that's where it helps when, you know, you've got someone who has that strong storytelling ability and background. Mm-hmm. I, I take that back, not background, ability, because, you know, storytelling is a craft, but I think if there's a, a nugget of ability, it can be nurtured. Because um, some people think that they can't jam. they think, oh no, I can't do all of this, and it's math, and, and it's rolling dice, and keeping up with stat tables, and but it's really the ability to craft the, the tail and, and keeping up with stats is secondary. There's programs that will do that for you. Mm-hmm. And, and your players need to keep up with their stats too. Um, yeah. But it's just that wealth of, of what, a various, what a varied group of people can bring to the table.
1: And kind of going into what you mentioned before about the inner party conflict, mm-hmm. I remember when I was first learning to DM you know, as a, as a kid – that was something to be avoided at all costs. If the party, Oh, really? Oh, absolutely. If really? The, if the party was starting to fight amongst themselves, uh, you didn't know what to do. So, you know, you had to have an exterior force for them to to fight against or mm-hmm. else it, it felt like there was a danger of the party collapsing. And then I think after a certain amount of years and experience, you you learn that it's uh, not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. It's just something. And to what you're saying, the DM is the storyteller. It's, some, it's a new element for them to manage around the table. And mm-hmm. you can get a lot of, uh, of great storytelling out of that uh, if it's managed uh, carefully and correctly. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but I think that could be seen as a, uh, a red flag for, for a lot of uh, for dungeon masters out there. When it doesn't necessarily have to be, yeah,
4: true. and I, I think a lot of it also comes down to we, you know, people are often told to avoid conflict. Mm-hmm. So this is our fun time. We're going to sit around the table <laughs> and and throw dice and play pretend. So why would I want to bring active conflict into the setting? Um, but for me, some of the greatest storylines I've had or interactions I've had is where canonically, a group i'm a character I'm playing, they have a a, a racial, disagreement or racial kind of reason and be in conflict with someone else. If I'm playing an elf or a dwarf or what have you. Mm-hmm. And there's a way to weave that in without it destroying the party.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think one of the, the interesting ways to do it is, I mean, cause part of what you're talking about, Bart is the players themselves having conflict and then it manifesting in their characters, or, or even just them fighting with each other, and sometimes what I've helped, you know, and it's different for kids. Obviously, when you're a teenager, it's always right. you're always <laughs> gonna be like, hey, don't fight, guys. Uh, uh, but what I always like to do was to make sure if they were having disagreements, was to make it in character uh, uh, and be like, okay, mm-hmm. if you're fighting, you know, you know, if, if your your character is not, you know, doesn't want to do what you, this this player's character wants to do, have them argue in character in game. And have all the reference be in-game. And that right. kind of always diffused uh, the the real tension in the room, if there was any, uh, uh, and made them be like, oh, and act it out. And it became like an improv exercise.
1: Right. No, and it, I mean, it is a, a, a uh, subtle player skill, though, to allow for those tensions between characters, uh, you know, the 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 elves and the dwarves or what have you, uh, to allow for that tension and allow for that conflict, but still for the players to be able to uh, cooperatively move the story forward, even if their characters are going to disagree, even if their characters are not going to get along. Yeah. uh, But they'll still drive towards a common goal.
4: Yeah. And and unfortunately, I have seen, I have experienced where personal conflict has crept into the game Uh and then the game went sideways.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. What, uh,
4: you know? Do you have any advice for, for that or or more just like, oh, no, that's no good? <laughs> um, I would say if there's interpersonal things that actually have nothing to do with the game and you as a GM or even you as another player want to make sure that it does not creep into the game is try to talk about it well in advance of your next play session. Because let's say you argue with someone two days before you're supposed to play. And even if it's sort of kind of resolved, You know you have that little – some people, I should say myself, have the way to kind of sneak things in character-wise, and then it's like, oh, I recognize this thing. We fought about this a couple days ago, and now you're bringing it into the game. Yeah, and you Uh, think it's going
0: to be funny and diffuse any tension, but I actually know you actually meant it, and you were trying to be a jerk. Yeah, right. I know. I've I've been there and done that many times.
4: I, I've been that jerk and I fully really admit it. Um, and it was the last time I tried to play online on like Roll20 with some friends. But with that, I think it was, you know, a, a combination of age difference because I was one of the older players in the group. Mm-hmm. Um, but also folks not knowing how to resolve conflict and keep it away yeah. from the game setting. Because suddenly this character that has no need of every single thing we loot suddenly wants to carry everything. And I'm like, but you're a wizard. You can't even use that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that sounds like every uh, uh, kid uh, uh, argument we had while playing d d Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: just because your character is the rogue or the thief doesn't mean you have to start pickpocketing your own party members. yeah.
4: Yeah, it's like where where are we gonna sleep? You stole everyone's gold. Sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I did that because you know you uh, uh, you know didn't say happy birthday to me when you were supposed to say happy birthday to me. <laughs> uh,
1: I had another question. Uh, sure. Kind of going back to what you were mentioning about the the agency of the players to to tell mm-hmm. the story, especially in, in tabletop gaming that you might not always be able to do in digital gaming. Uh, do you have any advice, maybe for uh, sort of a compact between the 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 dm and the and the players where you know the dm is is running the game but the players want to have a say in where the story is is going as well
4: mm, that that's tough because you know the dm doesn't want to tip their hand too much mm-hmm. um but you want to make sure you're having fun And i think as a player that's where you should come in that's your angle to come in at especially if you had a, either a quote-unquote bad play session or something didn't go the way you expected and and that's kind of souring you on the experience or maybe you want to take a week off i would say you know not at the table um but be- between play sessions just talk to your damn and go hey here's something i was thinking about for my character and this is why i'm thinking it just don't like blurt it out at the table or decide this moment this person got loot i didn't get or you know, my character is now laid up for 20 turns because I fell down a cliff or something. Bring it up between play sessions because it gives you a chance to, one, talk privately, and two, let the DM know that you are invested in staying in the game and you want to have fun and you are enjoying what they're doing, but this thing that happened or this this plot idea came to you and if it doesn't mess up their plans too much, is there a way to integrate it because you you had this kind of long game Envisioned for your character, right? Um, and that's why I try to do it because you know sometimes you you roll a character and you may not have a fully fleshed out backstory, but as you keep playing and as as your group kind of gels together, you go, well, this character that I'm I'm traveling with, or I've encountered, they would be either a good foil or a good companion for an idea I had maybe when we we're like level fifteen or something. And bring it up so there's a way for the DM to kind of craft that into the story. Maybe not even for the other characters to know. But it's there and it's something of your, it's something of your making that is there. But it's not taking over the story, if that makes sense. Because I know sometimes people want to just, they want their character to be the hero. No matter what the DM has planned. No matter what other <laughs> yeah. people may want. Um, and, it's a, and that's a good way. And then, you know, if, if you bring this up and it eventually comes out in the plot. And other people go, wait, I thought we were doing X. That's you maybe throw down the X card, have a sidebar, and go, well, this is something I brought up. It's something I would like to explore with my character. Let's talk about how we can make it work. But don't do it in character. Definitely conversations like that should be out of character, either sidebar or separately with the DM if possible.
1: No, I I agree enthusiastically. I I think if if you as a player are reaching out to the DM – uh, the DM has their NPCs and their hooks that they hope is going to be of interest to the players. And if the players are interested enough to attach them to their characters, I think the DM would be extremely excited to to help mm-hmm. uh, continue the story that way. Uh, it also kind of goes back to when you were saying after after the game sessions, the Dungeon Master likes to explain what they had in mind that they certainly knew, but you might not have known uh, mm-hmm. Same. Same with the players. If if they if the player has an idea for their character's backstory that they might know, it, it helps to uh, communicate that to the dungeon master as well to say, "Here's here's what I have in mind," so that it can be sort of explicitly brought out onto the onto the table.
4: Definitely, and I and I think it's good. Conversely, if you have an idea and it, it won't gel or it won't work out, because my first character in that two and a half year campaign, I had ideas, and you know. In a video game, it probably would have worked. (laughs) In the setting the the DM was building. It was just not a good fit, especially not at the point in the campaign we were at. And it's like, well, you know, let's say we get to this to a certain point and we encounter a new race or a new NPC. I'll I'll drop hints so that you know, maybe you can start working toward that, but for right now it's not appropriate and it doesn't fit what I was planning.
0: That's good for your Dungeon Master to be so upfront about that, too.
4: Yeah, and, you know, in, like, any relationship, because, you know, sitting around a gaming table with people every week, every other week, even once a month, or online, it is a relationship. <laughs> um,
0: it's a marriage of sorts, for sure, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
4: You, the dice, and five of your friends. (laughs) I know. I've had had Dungeon
0: Masters who took that way too seriously, too, to be like, you must commit to coming every week at this time or you will be dead. And I was like, um, that's a little
4: bit too much, but
0: yes, it is.
4: well, I guess I'm dead then. Yeah,
0: right,
1: exactly. Do you, Greg, take this Dungeon Master? (laughs) No! No, I don't! (laughs) (laughs) And We all object. My wife would be very mad. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So that's good to I mean I, I definitely agree with all that too to make sure that you uh, uh, are upfront about it. and honestly you know I mean I am saying this possibly as 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 an old person uh, uh but like <laughs> email has really helped i think develop uh character backstories and stuff way more mm-hmm. uh than uh you know the old pen and paper things used to I think because it's a way to you know privately you know communicate with your dungeon master offline It can be like oh i had this thought here's this three-page backstory that I just randomly wrote when I was, you know, up at 3 a.m. for no good reason other than <laughs> thinking about my character, you know, and then you can kind of just send that off and not even think about it until the Dungeon Master can bring it back. I did that once with that, honestly, that same uh, campaign that I played for for two and a half years in, in, in uh, uh, New York, where I just randomly thought, of, like, oh, he's an orphan, you know, his mom is a is a, 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 a prostitute of this in this town, and his dad is an elf uh, somewhere. I don't know. And didn't really think much about it other than that. But my dungeon master wove in, you know, finding out who my father was and the relationship that he had with my mother and what that was all about, uh, to the point where I was like, "Oh my God, this is actually really touching." And I'm like, <laughs> close to tears. You having this reconciliation thing happen that I didn't even really consider or think about, you know. And it all developed over over email, and it was uh, it was great. So yeah, I think uh, there's a, there's a new age of technology that's uh, coming about. And you mentioned you're not to completely shift tracks here but you mentioned how uh uh online games can sometimes be good but can sometimes you know uh, uh develop their own problems um have you found that uh uh playing online is good for um you know these kind of social cues or or do you kind of gravitate more to the in person games at this point
4: um it really depends because at this point in my life a lot of my friends are kind of spread out right um but I've had really good luck in, in being a player in, in one of my friends who does things to Google Hangouts. Yeah. And, you know, it for now it still has a dice rolling app and and we can just do short like three, four session campaigns and, you know, you have a chance to see each other, which you sometimes can't do with other, other things um, like other online systems. And I think for role playing, visual cues are very important because text can sometimes just like an email or a tweet <laughs> can can be misconstrued or, or the nuance is not there. Right. You know, you have limited time and characters if you are like doing all text adventure or text and voice, but being able to see someone and go, Oh, that was a tell. I know what they're going to do, or at least I think I knew what they're going to do. It, it replaces that the lack you have of sitting next to each other at a table. So for me, I've also been, just been a visual learner my whole life. It, it's a lot better for me to see someone even if it's just for 40 minutes we're doing a quick session and i can i can see those emotional things i can see the lack of emotional things depending on what they're doing and it makes it a much richer experience i have done strictly text but it's not the same
0: yeah i agree i agree too i i've tried it as well and it uh you know, you you can get kind of flowery in the language a little bit easier mm-hmm. than you can uh, uh, when you're just coming up with it on the spot with your voice, but uh, it is difficult when you don't know, when you can't see the other person. And even right. online games for me uh, uh, are are difficult for, you know, staying engaged. I've tried uh, a couple times, and I will try again once the technology improves and we enter VR and we're all, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, our, our lawnmower men and women <laughs> together. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, it's 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 a thing and things are doing more and more, you know, and I think uh, uh, honestly, the um, the video streaming of of shows, I think, is Mm -hmm. is uh, probably a bigger a bigger impact. Have you do do you? Are you a consumer of of shows like Critical Role or uh, uh, our own Dice Camera Action here at uh, Wizards?
4: I do not watch Critical Role for many reasons. Um, I have watched a couple of the streams and I do stream myself. um, And I also watch Adam Koble, a former guest on the show. Um, and Wes Schneider, yes, Skinny Ghost, he's, he's awesome. We're going to do a panel at PAX East, um, and Wes Schneider too. Yeah. He streams kind of like random things, not so much actual tabletop stuff, but it's really cool because you know, Hey, it's, it's the streaming thing gives you access in a way that you normally didn't have because a lot of people. Have questions about role playing, mm-hmm. and you know it's one thing to go to a forum, and we know how forums are for those who've been around long enough. Some of them I won't touch with a flaming ten foot pole, <laughs> um, but it's it's a lot easier, and that interaction is is better. I think when you are t- when you are viewing someone who is either talking about the development of role playing games or actually playing a game, and you can kind of watch it in action if you're curious and maybe want to get into either writing for RPGs or, or just playing because there's a fear I've noticed with a lot of people of, well, these are all strangers and how do I deal with it? Or Mm -hmm. won't someone think I'm weird? That same, those same fears that were there when we were kids are still around for some people. Um, and you know, I'm just going to put out there, there's a diversity issue. Um, yeah. I went to I went to OrcaCon, the theme was diversity, and I loved Donna Pryor, and she did her damnedest to get, you know, a lot of people of color to come, but there still weren't a lot, and it's it partially due to location, but in general, every time I see things about tabletop, it's the same looking crowd, and for a lot of reasons, I don't like going into game stores. I will order online before I will go into a, a brick-and-mortar dice shop a lot of times.
0: Yeah, and especially in different different you know parts of the country uh, are are you know better at that than others. Uh, but um, yeah, no, it's 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 something that we've uh, seen as well. And I was actually uh, really happy when we did uh, the Force Gray uh, show in Los Angeles. Uh, me and Bart were there uh, as we were streaming it, and um, you know in in L.A. on Sunset Boulevard, uh, the crowd uh, was. I don't. I don't think it was, uh, you know, indicative of the entire population, but there were definitely seemed like there were a lot more people of color uh, enjoying Dungeons and Dragons, and even some of them came up to me after the show and were like, "Wow, we were really excited that we weren't the only ones here." You know, like th- they came with their friends and their gaming group, so they felt mm-hmm. they felt comfortable, um, but they were really encouraged by the fact that you know it, Utkarsh was there uh, uh, playing the game, as well as just everybody around them seemed just excited to just celebrate Dungeons and Dragons uh, as it's happening. So. Um, you know, I can't say that, uh, uh, it's, it's like that everywhere, but I think it's definitely improving, uh, uh, for the better.
4: It is. And, you know, before anyone hears this podcast and yells at me or sends me a nasty tweet. Don't do that. Um, no one do that. Please. <laughs> um, you know, it's been improving and, and like I said, seeing, seeing the, the talk at OrcaCon made me very, very happy. To see all the changes and this is going to be my one and only mention of the drow because <laughs> that is my one sore spot about D&D and it will be my sore spot until I die. Oh really? Um, why, why is that? Oh yeah. They're, you know, they are literally black um, and a lot of people use that as an excuse for racism and blackface and cosplay. Right. Um, and, you know, and Jeremy did touch on that because bless their hearts, we could not get out of that panel without someone bringing up the drow. <laughs> um it's just it's one of those things where it's like it's just that sore spot of you know, the worst elements I've dealt with in terms of of d and other players that's that's been tied to it. So it's always been kind of a sore spot for me hmm. um because it just seems like that's the that's the excuse to be racist for some players,
0: not all players oh, that that drow are an evil race. Is that right? and
4: evil race and you know they're evil and they're literally black and the connotation of black is evil black dark is bl- oh, dark and yeah so you know it's not a simple thing to 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 kind of lay out but that is the most concise way I can put it where people have those associations and it's not a on accident association of dark being associated with negative and evil and, 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 and bad things. Mm -hmm. Um, but Jeremy did talk about that in his, in his presentation and, you know, the origins of the drow and how they're trying to get away from that, that history of it and the way that people perceive the drow, which I was very happy to see.
0: That's, and that's also interesting to me because I feel like Drist, uh, in particular is one of the most iconic characters of Dungeons and Dragons. Mm -hmm. Um, and is, you know, the complete opposite of all of, of those connotations, right? I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, is introspective and, and, you know, uh, basically, you know, in speaking with, uh, with Bob Salvatore, uh, on this podcast and, you know, other stuff too, I mean, he, he embodies a lot of the, the, the values, uh, that I think that, you know, uh, kind of liberal America, I guess, is, is, is wrestling with right now, uh, uh, as far as fighting against oppression and that kind of thing, so mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 for me, it's it's a symbol of of uh, you know, uh, good, which is is odd that it uh, you know it doesn't feel like that for you, but I I completely understand the you know seeing someone come into a convention uh, in that costume uh, and not identifying it with uh, you know the real world's, connotations uh, I, I i've definitely seen someone in costume be like "Ooh, i'm not sure that was a good choice right now
1: for you to be doing that <laughs> right that yeah was, that was the joke in community right that, yeah exactly uh, well yeah it, uh, and so while dritz might be a, a, a positive example though that he's he's singular right and he's he's mm-hmm. counter to the nature of his people so uh, yeah i can see yeah well D
0: D wrestles with all those those kind of uh, uh things as well because you know you we, we we slaughter a lot of goblins while playing Dungeons and Dragons and we kind of are just like oh they're bad they're just bad you know they're they're an evil race uh, mm-hmm. inherently um and if you go too far down that road we're like well maybe they should be you know uh, uh we should try to uh you know change their nature uh the game can become unfun for very quickly uh
4: mm-hmm. Uh, um, and, and that's something that we actually, we had a panel on mm-hmm. about dealing with that at the table and, you know,
0: yeah, I'm interested we, to hear what you say.
4: Yeah. <laughs> um, so Jessica Price and Crystal Fraser and I, we did a panel on, you know, how to deal with race fail at your table because it happens. Um, you know, being generous and giving people a gen- the benefit of the doubt and assuming that they are not intentionally being racist and terrible. There are things where you don't, either you've had no exposure to people of color or you just honestly don't know anyone who's a person of color. and You don't have to think about these things because nothing has ever been about anyone but you. Um, so you may say something that's racial insensitive or you may wanna go, I wanna do a slaver class in my game and <laughs> the one person of color is looking at you like, what, what did you say? Um, <laughs> yeah. Or you, know, you do things like you wanna give your character Uh, a backstory of having been a slave without thinking about the implications of that. Is that appropriate to the setting? And in most cases, 100, it is not appropriate because it's going to make everyone uncomfortable. And this is going to sound bad, but I don't trust a person, a non-person of color to handle that with sensitivity. Mm -hmm. And you know, what is the point of bringing that into the game? Especially if you know, there are one person, people of color at your table that's just like here, it's a trap and it's a big neon sign that you are not welcome. Um, so so we talked about those things, kind of how to sidebar, how to talk to your GM, how to talk to other players if this happens. We talked about the X card um, because the whole point of it is to have fun and to, you know, at least for me, it's try to leave some of the real world crappy stuff away to have some beers, roll some dice, chill with my friends and I would like to sit at the table and not have to think about this person next to me who wants to have this terrible backstory that is far too close for parallel to actual history of of my ancestors Um, so we we gave advice simply you know just don't get up and walk out unless it's truly truly upsetting but you know be able to go you know what I need a break I'd like to talk to you the DM in another room don't start a fight at the table obviously um but also know when to walk away because sometimes you can bring these things up and and other players may simply not get it because they are they are stuck on that character and they just won't see your point and it could be maliciousness maliciousness it could not but you have to know when this is not worth it
0: yeah yeah that makes sense because it's not i mean I, I i really like your point of like it the the, the point of dungeons and dragons is to uh have fun and if any of the experience of, I mean, obviously there's going to be drama and conflict, which we talked about, you know, earlier and how that can lead to, to, to fun. Uh, but this kind of thing uh, and, and uh, being racially insensitive, knowingly or unknowingly, is exactly what, you know, I mean, for better or worse, this is an escapist uh, hobby to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being able to uh, uh, escape into these kind of fantasies is exactly what everybody's trying to do at the table. So anybody that takes that away from someone um is just you know uh not empowering and and yeah i i, I totally agree with all that um and it and it's it, it's interesting too because it brings up the ancillary point of view of 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 uh you know showing that they that there are were people of color in your fantasy world uh which is something that video games i know struggle with um mm-hmm. a lot and you know and as you mentioned that jeremy was mentioning at the uh Orchagon thing that you know the 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 breath of heroes that are depicted in Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, we've been, you know, actively trying to to show as many different backgrounds as possible.
4: Yeah. And um, one of the things that that I find interesting and in that, you know, there's a lot of, you know, as much as I hate reusing the word fear in, in talking to other people about experiences, um, because it would be very simple to if you if you do know a person of color, you can go Okay, look, this came up in my campaign or a player wants to do this. May I use you as a sounding board? Um, Mm. Obviously, don't go campus strangers on the Internet and expect them to give you their time for free and energy for free. But, you know, if you are lucky enough, do you have someone in your life that you can go, you know, this is a thing a player wants to do. Can I get just your thoughts on it? I know you are not a monolith. You don't speak for all black people or LGBT or whoever, but I'm not comfortable. But it's not my place as a non-person of color, if you are not mm-hmm. to go, this is no, this is a bad thing because what I found in a lot of diversity talks and a lot of um, people trying to do their best and do well is that two white people together trying to talk about what is not good for people of color is just, it doesn't work because you still don't have that knowledge of, of life experience. Yeah, You still don't have that kind of, you know, for me as a person who grew up on the South side of Chicago, This is what's going to kind of be a a a no go, or you know, if I make my character brown and describe them as such, I don't want you, I don't want then for my character to have some forced background that reinforces modern stereotypes of what you think a person of color is.
0: Mm. Um, Yeah, that's important too, because a lot of what uh, uh, you know players get out of Dungeons and Dragons is the idea to feel you know free of life's restraints.
4: Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm not a mage in real life, sadly, but uh, <laughs>
0: Exactly, right? I want yeah. to be. <laughs> oh,
4: I it's probably a good thing I'm not a mage in real life because <laughs> I telekinetically set some of the people in my Twitter timeline you go, on fire. You would,
0: you would go full Anders, <laughs> wouldn't you? <laughs>
4: um, I would not blow up the chantry, but I I would set fires to some people that are in my mentions. Um <laughs> but you know it's it comes down to really being welcoming being honestly welcoming and and that was one of the things that I talked about um a lot when I when I was on panels is that the fear of messing up or the fear of I can't talk to someone cuz they'll think I'm a racist if I if I even approach this yeah that has to stop because a lot of people go oh if I get it wrong then someone's going to call me a racist or or if I don't have any people of color then they're going to think I'm a racist and it's like well, have you talked to any people of color is the first question. And right. then, 2 you're going to mess up. Just whoever's listening to this podcast, if you're thinking about diversifying your table or your setting, you're going to mess up. Just accept that. Nobody learned to walk the first time they stood up as a kid. So. Um,
0: right. The important is the, uh, uh, the effort and uh, the idea that inclusivity is uh, uh, is an important value for all of us. Uh, you know, Wizard of the coast. Did their values a couple of years ago, and that was one of the uh, the the ones that I was super proud of that uh, was on the list, uh, and it's something we're we're striving for. And you're right; it's not not perfect by any means, but uh, I think the the intent is important.
4: Mm-hmm. But intent is also not magic, because
0: yeah, intent gotta, is great. <laughs> yeah, right, and you got to follow it up with actual, you know. And I think what you said about actually talking to people of color is probably the best uh, advice. For those who haven't, is that it's you know they're they're I mean I don't know it's it's it seems like common sense.
4: It is, but you know there's also um, emotional labor and what people think you should do. Or it's like well you know you want the community to get better, so you should do this for free, Mm. or you should do this with whatever spare time you have. And you know I I do get reached out, I do get you know emails and things like that where people go, well I want to do better, and it's like well. What steps have you taken? And also, what is your budget for diversity consulting? Be it me or anyone else, people's time is valuable. So, you know, f- for especially for like a company, company like Wizards or even a small person, you know, even if you can't pay in money, there should be some kind of payment, not exposure bucks. Those are bad. <laughs> <laughs> that is not valid currency. I don't, I don't want to. Yeah, right.
0: Part of me wants to call out HuffPo, and so I won't.
4: But you did. I like that. Damn it. Um, no, I'll, I'll say it, too. Um, one of my friends is like, oh, my God, you should totally write for HuffPo. And I'm like, what do they pay? Yeah. And when I didn't hear an answer, I was like, and that's why I'm not going to write for them. And I'll never do a TED Talk because they don't pay you.
0: Yeah. It's 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 a, a scary game there.
4: Yeah. And, you know, and that's one of the things I talk about. I'm actually um, <clears throat> doing a panel. And in the near future, basically called If You Pay Me. <laughs> about that.
0: Um, I've seen that meme go around quite a bit, and I I always applaud it whenever I see it. um, I've got
4: a link for you. A friend of mine does calligraphy, and she actually made me a very lovely calligraphy sign that is above my computer right now.
0: (laughs) Maybe that's what I saw. It was on on your feed, because you might have uh, shared that in the past, but I I thought that was hilarious. That's Uh, my mantra. it's, it's, It's amazing, and I believe it. Um so uh before we let you go here, what's uh, do you have any plans to to do a fifth edition campaign? Have you have you thought about starting one up?
4: I have. I want to do fifth edition, so obviously I need to get the books. Um I'm, well, we might
0: be able to help with that.
4: <laughs> yeah, you know where I live. So <laughs> um so I do want to do a fifth edition. I also want to do a, a Dragon Age um tabletop. Because I'm a big nerd, and once I realized there was a tabletop RPG for it, I was sold. Yeah, um, yeah. So friends, I want to do both. Our friends at
0: Green Ronin uh, uh, developed that, I believe. Which are uh, they did? They're great. So yeah, uh,
4: cool. So yeah, I want to. And you know, anyone listening who who knows how to act like an adult, <laughs> uh, <laughs> let me know. Because you know, if I'm in my 40s, I don't have time to like kind of babysit people who should know how to act act right at a table. Um, yeah, you know, my, my tolerance um, for
0: that has gotten way low as well, too, with, with my old age.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Your old age. Come on now. <laughs> I know.
1: Uh, so if uh, folks did want to find out more or contact you, uh, where where would we best direct them?
4: Um, well, my personal Twitter is cipher of cypheroftyr, which is C-Y-P-H-E-R-O-F-T-Y-R- and I Need Diverse Games, which is the nonprofit I run about diversity in games, is I Need D I V G M S. Those are both our Twitter accounts. Um, if you want to talk about diversity for your event or your game, um, Tanya at iNeedDiverseGames.org will reach me. And I do go to a lot of conventions, so if you'll be at PAX East, Game Developers Conference, East Coast Games Conference, and possibly Gen Con. Right now it's a big if, but I'm trying to get there. Um, you can find me there and I usually post my con schedule at com. And I have a podcast where I talk about all this stuff all the time. And you are more than welcome to come join me on the podcast so I can I can put you behind the mic. Oh, chance.
0: nice. Yeah. <laughs> we'll uh, definitely and that do is,
4: that. Yeah. And that's Fresh Out of Tokens. Um, it's over on Simplecast. So it's freshoutoftokens.simplecast.fm and it's a weekly show.
0: Awesome. Cool. Well, I'll be at Pox East uh, and uh, would love to have you come to the uh, Acquisitions Incorporated show if you're interested. Um, Definitely. Yeah. And uh, uh, see some some live play. Uh, and uh, yeah, we can talk more for sure. Yeah. Hey. Cool. Well, thanks for having uh, for coming on, Tonya.
4: Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I, it's been really exciting. Cause I was just like, "Yay, I'm going to go on a podcast. And then I was like. Oh, my God, it's like the real Wizards of the Coast podcast. (laughs) But it was awesome, and I will talk to you all soon. I'll see you at PAX East.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Tanya. Thanks, Tanya.
4: You're very welcome. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye. Bye. Well,
1: that was awesome. I really had a good conversation with Tanya there. Yeah, no, that was a a very good talk.
0: I loved hearing about uh, Dragon Age 2 and how other people like it. I thought I was alone for so long.
1: Only, only here in this room. Only <laughs> I'm only by myself. We have to reach out on Skype to people that share your interests. I know.
0: My colleagues uh, <laughs> no. for now will be like, uh, you know, they'll understand it more because the, the, the level of, of interest in how much uh, people wanted to dislike that game was intense. Uh, and it's so nice that now after after, God, it's almost been, what, five years now that people are now getting uh, into not hating it as much, uh, uh, which is good. Because it's a great story. Go play it now <laughs> if you haven't already. Um, Bart, it was good
1: having you uh, uh, as co-host. No, thank you. I appreciate it. It's always good to, to jump back in. And uh, as I mentioned, it's, it's of course an honor to be part of the brand again, and uh, always nice to come in on, as part of the podcast as well. You're, you're, you're a good radio voice <laughs> that is needed here. I, <laughs>
0: Mine is not so radio voicey. I'll,
1: I'll work on my shrills uh, shrieking for next time. So I can <laughs> Break! break uh, ah. <laughs> did, like the r- <laughs> most annoying sound in the right, world.
0: Right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> i sure uh, uh, Quinn has got that handled, so you're, you're oh, good.
1: Yeah. Yeah, just do, it, do, it, do your best Quinn impression. <laughs> uh, so Bart, where can people find out more about you? Uh, so these days, of course, the D&D website, D&D, D-N-D at, uh, uh, dot wizards.com, or you can also find uh, dragonmag.com, or on Twitter, it's Bart, B-A-R-T, underscore, Carol, C-A-R-R-O-L-L. That's where you can bug him about
0: uh, all of his... Uh, Chicago Bears fandom? Uh,
1: no, you know, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, my allegiances have shifted. But it is uh, also where you can always touch base about the website or the magazine. And we're always, of course, interested in uh, hearing feedback and comments and, and concerns. Uh, as much feedback as possible uh, would be always welcome, constructive feedback. You know, don't just say Bart <laughs> stinks and when is Shelly coming back? Yeah, I, I, get, that's, I get that uh, private message from uh, Shelly. So <laughs> <it's pretty laughs>
0: awesome. You can follow me uh, on Twitter. I'm at Greg Tito. Uh, and, of course, check out all the places. Uh, Bart mentioned uh, uh, Wizards underscore d is where it's on for the Twitter. Um, and, uh, of course, check out Tales for the Yawning Portal when it comes out widely on April 4th. Again, it's seven adventures packaged into one Fancy volume all updated for fifth edition. It's your chance if you're a new fan of D&D uh, uh, Or just gotten into it in the last ten years or so to pick up some of those old classic adventures, so go check it out um, We'll be back next week um, and uh, We'll have some more really fun stuff and it most likely won't be Bart
4: <laughs> On the microphone, but
0: he will be coming back soon. Oh, unless you all hate him <laughs> In which case we're definitely having him back as Demogorgon you <laughs>